Amen. Amen. He is precious. Wow. So thankful for Jesus and all that he is. And uh, folks, we can get so focused on the things of the world around us and forget. Uh, there's really only one person uh, that excels and exceeds everything in this world. Anything this world has to offer, it's Jesus. And uh, he's wonderful. We're going to be in 1 John chapter number 3 this morning. 1 John chapter 3. And we've been kind of studying through the book of 1 John uh, together. And uh, we've been having just kind of at various times, not necessarily consistently uh, each service or, uh, you know, not just on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights. But we just, we've been taking the opportunity to look through this book. And I think it's important for us because some of these, uh, the truths that are laid out here in 1 John uh, really relate to our relationship to God and then our relationship to others. And a lot of these truths, while they may seem to be foundational, they're also uh, very practical and very powerful. And so I, I just felt it important as we uh, study the Word of God together to really go through this book of the Bible, the book of 1 John, and see what the Lord would have for us here. And so uh, we started in, uh, obviously in chapter 1, that's a good place to start, but just a, a few weeks ago, uh, we started in chapter 3. And uh, we uh, have gone through a couple of messages now in chapter 3. That chapter 3 starts out with the words, I'm not going to have you stand just yet, but it starts out with the words, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And it, it really starts with that concept of we are children of God. And then it, it goes on and really kind of bears out from there the lifestyle of a child of God. And one that is uh, that we are seeking to be holy as He is holy. To be purified from, uh, from sin and, and to cleanse ourselves from the, the wickedness of the flesh and the wickedness of this world. That if we are living with the hope that one day we will be in His presence and we'll be like Him because we see Him as He is, that that will change our conduct, it'll change our lifestyle, it will have an impact and influence on the way that we live. So really the first ten verses of the chapter deal with our lifestyle, but now the, the subject matter changes just a little bit. That's one evidence that we are children of God, our lifestyle changes. But now he's going to shift the focus and talk about another evidence or fruit of salvation in our lives, and that is our love. And so we're here in 1 John 3, and we're going to pick it up in verse number 10. If you're able to stand for the reading of the scripture, I invite you to do that. If you're not able to, that's fine as well. 1 John 3, we'll begin reading in verse number 10. It says, In this the children of God are manifest. And the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. There's the lifestyle. But then notice this. Neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. Not, listen to this, not as Cain who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. 
Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Thank you. You can be seated. In this passage that we just read, of course, we are reminded and told that we are to love one another. And that's a, a very simple concept. It's something that uh, I think most people would probably say. And if you were to go down the street and ask someone, you know, what do you think? Uh, how do you think Christians ought to behave? What do you think? Uh, they should, uh, their lives should be marked by or identified by. They, they might say to you, I think God's people, Christian people, should be loving. It's all about love. It's all about kindness. It's all about being generous. And, and we kind of get this concept, this idea that we are to love one another. But, but I want you to understand that there's a difference, and we're going to see in a moment, there's a difference between the love that we have as God's people, as Christians, and the love that the world knows and understands. The love that we are called to as Christians is distinct and it's different. And so this morning from this passage of scripture, I want to just point out some of the distinctions in Christian love. And what is different about Christian love versus the love of the world? First of all, Christian love identifies the children of God. Christian love identifies the children of God. Look at verse number 10. In this, the children of God are manifest. That word manifest means to be made known or to be revealed. This is the distinguishing characteristic of God's people. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Look at verse 11. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. The first thing that you learn as a Christian, once you receive Christ as your Savior, the first thing you learn really is love, God's love. And this is, uh, this is what separates us from the world. This is the distinguishing characteristic of God's people. I want you to notice that Jesus reminded us of this or told his disciples this. In John chapter 13, verse 34, he said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. In other words, he said, it, it, it's not your doctrine that sets you apart. It's not your standards of separation that set you apart. It's not the way that you dress or the way that you talk. And all of those things are important. Don't get me wrong. If, if you're saved... You ought to have the right doctrine. You ought to believe the right things. You ought to have standards and separation. You shouldn't look like the world, act like the world, and talk like the world. But I want you to know 
that the, the proof that God said is in our lives that distinguishes us from all the rest of the world, it is to be our love. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. In this, the children of God are manifest. We are revealed. It, it identifies us as his children. Why? Well, think of it. We're told that we didn't initiate the relationship with God, right? We don't, in this is love, not that we love God, we'll see in the next chapter, not that we love God, but that he loved us. We love him because he first loved us. So really, this is how love works. God shed his love upon us. And because of his love toward us, we will naturally reciprocate that love back to him. But his love in us also causes us to love others. First and foremost, the brethren, those who are born of God, those who are saved. And secondly, our neighbor, our, our neighbors, those who are lost, those who are out in the world next to us. You see, if you are a child of God, it should be normal and natural for you to love the brethren. When I say the brethren, I'm talking about people who are saved. This is, this is normal. If, if I am a child of God, I am his son, it should be normal for me to love my spiritual siblings. I, I always have some concern about people who claim to be saved but have no desire to assemble with God's people. They'd rather live out in the world. They're more comfortable around their lost family or neighbors or co-workers or whatever friends they have in the world. They're more comfortable there than they are in the house of God, in, in church, around saved people. Something's not right there. If you're saved, you should love saved people. Go over a, a page or two to the book of 2 John and chapter number 1. It's the only chapter there in 2 John. 2 John is written as an epistle, a letter, from the Apostle John, the same writer of the Gospel of John, and 1 John, same author. But this one is written to a distinct person. If you notice in verse number 1, it says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children. Now, if you've ever wondered who this elect lady is, who is this person, I, I'm going to answer that for you today. So you can put it out of your mind. You never have to wonder again, who is this elect lady? Here's the answer. We don't know. Sorry, we don't know who she is. Uh, we do have reason to believe that this is a, a literal person to whom this letter was written because he talks about this lady and her children and also talks about her sister and her sister's children. And so this, this apparently was a lady that was dear to the Apostle John. If you look at the, the life and ministry of Christ, he had some ladies like that. People that were just precious to, to him. I think of uh, Mary Magdalene or, or uh, Mary and Martha, their Lazarus' sisters. I mean, they, these people were, were friends. They were helpers of the ministry and people that, that Jesus cared for deeply. And I believe that uh, you see it also in Paul's ministry. There were certain ladies that just were, were helpers of the ministry, of the work. And they were special uh, to Paul and to his ministry. And I'm assuming that this lady, this elect lady, this saved individual is one of those. So someone who along the way had maybe served alongside of John or helped him in his ministry. And now he writes to her encouraging her and her children 
to walk in truth and to walk in that which is right. But I want you to notice, he says, the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And then notice this, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. He said, I, I want you to know that I love you. Now, this isn't a romantic kind of love. It's not a, a love letter from a man to a woman in that sense. It's a letter that says, I, I, I love you in Christ. I, I love you in the Lord. I love you for, notice he said, for the truth. The, uh, I love in the truth. Verse number two, for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. In other words, the bond that we have is founded not upon uh, just a relationship that we have or shared experiences in life or similar personalities and interests, but the foundation of the love that I have for you is the truth. It, and, and it's that the fact that I know the truth and I believe the truth and I live in the truth and so do you and therefore we have a bond, we have a connection, we have a love for one another. And I love what he said at the end of verse number one, he said, whom I love in the truth and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. In other words, it's not just me that loves you. But everyone who knows the truth loves you too. Everyone else in the world who is saved loves this elect lady. But here's the reality of that. Not every saved person in the world knew who this lady was. So how could they love her? I told you a moment ago, we don't know who she is. We, I don't have a name. I can't tell you where she lived, what she looked like, who her family was. But I can tell you this, on the authority of the word of God, I love her. Why? Because she's a sister in Christ. We have a bond in the truth. This is the concept of, of Christian love for the brethren. That we love one another in the truth. Now in a, in a local setting, in a church setting like this one here, this is very important for us to understand. Because we are called to love one another but not just because we like each other. I want to say that again. We're called to love one another, not only because we like each other. Now, I hope that you like each other. I really do. I hope you like me. I like to be liked. I like you. But that's not what this love thing is all about. The concept of this is... You have the Spirit of God living in you. You have received Christ as your Savior. You are a child of God, and so am I. Therefore, in the truth, I love you, and you ought to love me. We're called to love one another. And it has really nothing to do with personality, and it has nothing to do with, with shared experiences or, or history of relationship. That, that, that really has nothing to do with our love for one another. But this is the problem. Churches become divided, Christians become divided because their love for one another is based on things. They're trying to base their love on the things that the world bases love on. I like that person. I get along well with that person. And we, we have similar interests. And, 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 and so, you know, we can, we can sit and talk for hours about this or that. And we just have a bond. Folks, listen, that is not what... Christ's love. That's not what Christian love is to be. We're to love each other in the truth. 
We ought to be able to come together today and, and even set aside our differences. The fact that we may have different personalities. Sometimes personalities mesh really well and sometimes they clash. We, we ought to be able to set that aside and you say, you know what, that really doesn't matter. Here's what does matter. We heard a song a moment ago, Jesus is precious to me. You know what? If Jesus is precious to you and he's precious to me, now we have something in common, don't we? As far as the world's concerned, we may have very little in common. We might come from different areas. We might have different interests, different likes and dislikes. We might even come from different cultures, but we have something in common, and it's Christ. And therefore, we are to love one another. This should be common and normal and natural for the saved person. You see, love is a fruit of the Spirit of God in us. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the very first thing mentioned. It is love. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by what? By the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. In other words, this is... This love that we have one for another, it's not just us like conjuring up this love. Just like gritting our teeth and saying, okay, I'm going to love this person. Whether it's easy or difficult or, or, or whatever, that's not the concept. The concept is this. If you've been saved and the Spirit of God lives in you, the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. It, 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 it's just, it's the, one of the first things that happens at salvation is you should be loving the brethren. This is an evidence or a fruit of the work of God in your life. And it distinguishes, it sets Christians apart from the rest of the world. God's love in us and through us. So true Christian love identifies. It identifies us as his children. Secondly, though, true Christian love imitates it imitates Christ's love. In other words, this love is not just, again, it's not just the, the, the same kind of love that the world uh, knows and understands and practices, but it is, it is a love that is similar to the love of Christ. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He said that we are to love one another as he loved us. Look at verse number 12 with me in here in 1 John 3. Now let's back up to verse number 11 because it's important that you get the wording on this. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning that we should love one another. That's the action. That's the commandment. Look at verse number 12 though. Not as Cain. Cain, this is that third man to ever, <laughs> third person to ever live on earth, Adam and Eve's son, Cain, Abel's brother. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. So we're to love, not as Cain. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. I, I've, I've marveled at that verse as I've looked at it and considered it and studied it. Because if you were to come to me and ask me, how uh, would you call uh, Cain a man of love or a man of hatred toward his brother Abel? I would say, well, he, he had hatred toward his brother, right? He hated him. That's why he killed him. 
But that's actually not what this says. This says that we are called to love, but we're not to love in the same way that Cain loved. So the problem with Cain wasn't his hatred, it was his love. It was the wrong kind of love. Here's what it was. Cain's love was the same love that the world knows and understands. It was a selfish love. It was a love that only endured so long as my brother is doing the things that I think he should do and his actions are pleasing to me. And when, when his actions, rather than pleasing Cain, began to bring conviction in Cain's life, wherefore slew he him because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous, the light began to shine into the darkness. It made the darkness uncomfortable. Now, now the love stopped there. It was, a, it, it was limited love. That's not how we're called to love. We're not called to love so long as our needs are being met, our desires are being met. We are called to love as Christ loved. If you look at verse number 16, it says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. The love that we are to have is not the love of the world. It's not the love of the selfish. It's not the love of Cain. It is the love of God. Do you know today that the world's concept of love is, is this idea that it exists to satisfy my own needs and my own desires? You look at even, even the concept of the love between a, a, a man and a woman that God designed and the way that the world has taken that and the things that, that they've made that out to be and portrayed that to be is this thing of, you know, this Hollywood story Two people met and they just all of a sudden, you know, it was love at first sight. They just saw each other and got this feeling about, about the other person and they just fell madly in love and it was totally outside of their control. Oh, how wonderful. And they lived happily, happily ever after. What they don't tell you is that kind of love doesn't last forever. That kind of love is fleeting. It's temporary. And that's where you get this concept of people saying, well, we just fell out of love. You know what that means? I woke up one day and realized they weren't everything I thought they were. And I didn't like them as much as I thought I did. And so I just can't put up with this person anymore. I fell out of love with them. No, you never really love them. That's the problem. Because true love is a self-sacrificing love. I've got to tell you, there, there's a mentality out there, and I think it's even creeping into the lives of Christians. And, and I'm not trying to be critical of people, but I, I, I do want to warn you today. There's like the, this, this uh, movement that, that we're seeing where there's a message that's being portrayed. If someone is not meeting your needs and, and fulfilling your desires, you need to get that person out of your life. I mentioned a moment ago that, that statement, well, it just fell out of love. I've talked to so many people that have said, well, you know, the, the, I, I, I want to stay in this marriage and I want to make it work, but I'm just not happy. And don't I have a right to happiness? And don't I have a right to, uh, to have my desires and my needs met? There, there's even a statement I hear, I hear it stated, and I, and I understand the the concept, I understand where people were, are coming from, and I'm not trying to criticize anyone, but it's this thing, get toxic people out of your life. Let them go. Now listen, I, I don't think that you ought to just continue 
you know, spending time with people who are constantly tearing you down. I don't think you need to, uh, you know, just, just constantly bombard yourself with people that are hateful and unkind. But listen, true love doesn't push people away. True love is self-sacrificing. If Jesus would have had this idea, well, I'm, man, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, those people are toxic. I'm, I'm going to keep them out of my life. Guess what? He wouldn't have loved anyone. Christ's love is a self-sacrificing love. It's a love that's not all about me and my needs and my desires and what I want. But it's about Him and it's about others. Christian love is self-sacrificing. 1 Corinthians 13 is that chapter on love in the Bible. It, it, it's called charity. And, and it describes what charity is. And the, the very first thing it says is charity suffereth long and is kind. It, it doesn't just mean, well, it's, it's patient. Okay, I'm just going to take my time and wait. No, it, it suffereth long, long suffering. What does that mean? It means that sometimes it might not be easy to wait. It might not be easy to stay. It might not be easy to remain a part of someone's life and investing in someone. And it might even be painful. But it's right because you love them. I got to tell you, I admire people who, who, have, who have endured difficult relationships for the sake of the, for, of the other person. Because I love this person and I'm trying to reach them and I'm trying to help them and it's, it's not easy. Listen, a true friend loveth at all times, the Bible says. It's easy to be a friend when it's easy, when there's not much effort, when, when, the, when the person is kind and, 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 and loving and reciprocates your generosity. And, but, but Jesus says if we love those who love us, it's, what is that? It's not really love. Even lost people can love those who love them. But what are we called to do? We're called to love our enemies. See, Christ's love is different than our love. Christ's love was and is sacrificial. Romans 5 and verse number 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We ought to sit here today thankful that God loved us when we were unlovable. He didn't come to call the righteous. He didn't come to, to, to save those who were worthy of saving. He came to save sinners like you and me. And he gave himself and died in our place. He sacrificed himself so that we could be saved. And this, this was a demonstration, it was proof of his love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's what love is. And true love, Christian love, imitates Christ's love. It, it, it's a reflection of Christ's love. It's not selfish and, uh, and self-fulfilling. 
It is selfless and self-sacrificing. And then let me show you this also, that true Christian love, is it must be demonstrated. When you look at verse number, this is part of the being an imitation of Christ's love. We demonstrate this love. It's not just something that we say or, 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 or feel. It's something we do. Verse number 16, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? In other words... This kind of love is one that is acted out. It's carried out. God demonstrated his love for us in giving himself for us. And now we are to lay down our lives for the brethren. That doesn't mean that, you know, tomorrow I go put myself on an altar and die and say, well, this is for you. What it means is I'm willing to give myself. I'm willing to sacrifice of myself. To meet your needs. I'm willing to inconvenience myself. I'm willing perhaps to even be mistreated. So that I can be what you need me to be. That's that's the concept of Christian love. It's demonstrated. And, And let me say to you, not only is is Christian love, does it identify us as children of God, it imitates Christ's love, but Christian love is intentional. It's something that actually, while it is a work of God in our lives, it's a result of the Holy Spirit in us, it must, we must determine in our hearts to practice this. Because our flesh fights it. So he says in verse number 18, my little children, let us not, those words, let us, it's a call to action. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, just because you say, hey, I love you, brother, doesn't mean you really do. Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Live it out. Show it. Prove it. It's a call to action. Think about this with me for a moment, if you would. How can we show God that we love Him? It's one thing to say it. It's one thing to feel it. Oh, I'm just overwhelmed. With God's goodness, that's great. But how do you prove your love to Him? Well, I think the biblical answer to that would be obedience. John 15, 14, Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Here in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. In other words, if you love God, here's how it's proven, here's how it's shown. You obey Him. You submit to Him. 
you follow him. And therein, your love is not only in word or in tongue, but it's in deed and in truth. It's proven out by your actions. So we can show our love to God, demonstrate our love to God by our obedience. Let me ask you this, though, and this one might get a little bit more challenging. <laughs> How can you demonstrate your love to the brethren? How can you demonstrate your love to one another? I don't know that there's a, a one-size-fits-all answer to this. Right here in, in this text, though, it says, Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need. If you have more than someone else, that's not wrong. That's okay. It's a blessing of God. It's okay to have abundance. But when you have abundance, you also have a responsibility to be watchful of the needs of others and try and meet those needs. How about this? By praying for one another. There have been times that the Lord has really convicted me because as I look back on my prayer life and my prayer time, I had to admit that there was a lot more about me and my needs than about others and their needs. Paul demonstrated his love to others. He said in 2 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he said, I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Timothy, I love you. And I want you to know, I pray for you, night and day. There have been things that have been done for me throughout my life that stand out as demonstrations of people's love for me. And I could use up a lot more time than I have talking about some of those. One, one time in particular that I don't think I'll ever forget, unless maybe I have some kind of a problem that causes me to forget, but... I was probably 15 or 16. I was away from the Lord. I was saved, called to preach, but living for myself. I wasn't walking with God. I was living for the things of the world, interested in the things of the world. And an uncle of mine, who happens to be a pastor, didn't know what was going on in my life, knew nothing about the situation in my life, because I played a good Christian on the outside. But he came up to me one day and he put his arm around me. And he said, I just want you to know that I pray for you every day. And here's the thing. I know and knew that he meant that and it was true. I can't tell you how God used that in my life. It meant something to me. I could feel God's love through him. That God would be so merciful to let someone love me in such a way that they would pray for me every day, even though I didn't deserve it. I knew I didn't deserve it. It meant something to me. It mattered. Why? To know that someone was praying for me. That's a demonstration of love. It takes sacrifice. Prayer is not easy. It's time-consuming. It's labor. It's work. But folks, we need to pray for one another. 
confess your faults one to another and pray for one another, the Bible says. We can demonstrate our love for the brethren by praying for each other, by sacrificially giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 talks about the offering that was being given from the churches of Macedonia to the church in Jerusalem in a time of famine, a time of great need. And, and Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth to give and be part of this. And he said in verse number 8, I speak not by commandment, by, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. He said, you say you love them. Prove it. Do something about it. We ought to love God, not only in word, but in deed and in truth. We ought to love the, love the brethren, not only in word, but in deed and in truth. I want to ask you this. How can you love your neighbor? How can you love the lost of this world? I'll answer that question with a question. How can we really say that we care if we never bother to tell them the truth of Christ? How can I say that I love someone if I'm not willing to inconvenience myself, maybe get out of my comfort zone, embarrass myself a little bit, so that they can hear the good news of the gospel, so that they can be saved. Oh, I love them, I care about them, I want to see souls saved. Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Prove it. Prove it. So two questions this morning, very simply. Have you experienced in your own life the love of God? Have you received his gift of eternal life? Have you been saved? He gave himself for your sake, who is undeserving and unworthy. You say, how do you know I'm undeserving and unworthy? Because we all are, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're wicked. You're a sinful wretch just like me. But Christ gave himself for you so that you could be saved. He loves you. This morning, if you have not received him, I invite you to him today. The spirit and the bride say, come. Jesus says, come to him. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He wants to save you today. He invites you to come and receive his love. But if you're here today and you are saved, you are a child of God. You know that your sins have been forgiven and you have received the love of God. And the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Let me just ask you, are you walking in love? Are you demonstrating that love in deed and in truth to God, to his people, and to the lost of this world? This is what identifies us as his children. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one toward another. In this, the, uh, in this, the children of God are manifest.